Hi, I'm Nick. Hi, I'm Thomas. And this is the Unbossing Podcast. A show about unleashing the full potential of every organization. Hi guys, would you like to have this inspiration and this magic between Nick and myself daily? Please follow us on Instagram, Nick the Unbosser, or me, Thomas Hubuch, or best case both, or follow us on LinkedIn and you have it daily. If you are a CEO, if you are an employee wanting to find back your passion, or if you are a potential partner wanting to join the Unbossing movement, do it and follow us. So, Thomas, we have the honor of having two people, Kurt and Julia, sitting in one of the most beautiful places in uh, in, 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 in Europe, probably, Innsbruck. Uh, just released an uh, amazing, inspiring, practical book, Open Strategy. And so, I guess the first question we want to ask them is, what is strategy? And B, what is then open strategy? Thanks. Thanks for having us and good morning. Um, good morning. What is strategy and what is open strategy? Um, we have a very simple definition of strategy. Strategy is about answering three very basic questions. Where are we right now? Where do we want to go? And how do we get there? And uh, open strategy means uh, involving people inside and outside the company in strategy making and answering these uh, three questions. People that uh, usually are not involved, and this way companies can tap into the collective uh, wisdom of crowds. So that's our definition of uh, open strategy. And the context uh, of our book is uh, disruption. And in times of disruptions, answering these uh, three basic questions uh, becomes very difficult. Uh, first uh, questions. First question: uh, Where are we now? Uh, when there is a disruptive change in your industry, that you very often means that your current core competences and capabilities uh, become obsolete or irrelevant, uh, and very often you have to disrupt yourself. So, answering the questions: Where are we now? And how? and uh, where do we want to go becomes very uh, difficult. Also because most disruptive innovations um, emerge outside the industry and it's very difficult to see the change and uh, uh, those disruptions. Um, Andy Grove, a former CEO of Intel once said, when spring comes, snow begins to melt at the periphery. And this is where you have to look at and therefore you need an outside view. And third, how do we get there uh, in times of disruption? This is uh, a big challenge for companies because most incumbents don't think radically enough uh, when developing uh, disruptive new business models. And uh, very often they have to disrupt themselves. This is very hard because disruption uh, means cannibalizing existing businesses 
And that creates a lot of internal resistance. And open strategy can help um, answering these uh, three basic questions of uh, strategy. Okay. But it's amazing. Uh, when you were talking, I immediately had to think of the European automotive industry in the last 15 years. Why, Thomas? Because this automotive industry and the whole sector is so much based on internal combustion engine um, that I, I think for some people in this industry, it would have been just, just too painful uh, to cannibalize themselves and look at the consequences. But uh, I don't know, Kurt, is that a typical case which you have in mind where one can be, as we in Germany say, betriebsblind, that you really only are in your own circle with your, with your old buddies with whom you work together since 20 years. Is that something like that which you want to avoid with that book? It, it is a great example. It's very typical for a disruptive change because it emerges outside. So Tesla, Elon Musk, was an outsider. Yeah. And when he came up with this idea of electric cars. At the beginning, he was ridiculed. Um, incumbents found hundreds of reasons why this is not going to work. Then they slowly realized this is going to work. And then he was taken seriously. And then incumbents started slowly to copy. And yeah. some of them are very late. And one of the reasons is uh, it's very difficult for incumbents to imagine a completely new business model, a disruptive um, uh, change. And, um, and they are also, also stuck in their core competences because disruption then very often means that the whole value chain, the whole, um, the whole supply chain uh, becomes obsolete. And that's yeah. difficult to This is so. Imagine yeah, this whole knowledge built up over a hundred years. I say now about how to construct and optimize an internal combustion engine beautifully becomes boom, just obsolete. Mm -hmm. And Nick, sorry, I have another immediate follow up. Go uh, for it, Thomas. Uh, Go for uh, it. Good. How open are traditional companies? to discuss in a transparent manner their strategy with outsiders. And I, I say now outsiders because that is the view which I know is still very much there in, in, in many traditional companies. So how do they react to your message? They say, ah, good, are, you, are you crazy? You think we will discuss our, our, our very own strategy with with some strangers? A very good question. I, I would say there are two types of companies, companies that have a very open culture. And uh, these are companies in industries uh, like software, open source, where open source uh, plays a role. They have a different culture. They are more open. They are more used to these open approaches. They look, uh, they look at the outside. They involve a lot of people. And then there are companies that are very blind to what happens uh, outside. 
And the challenge uh, is uh, nothing fails like success. As long as they are successful, there is no reason to question your existing business model. Once they see that there is a disruptive change uh, and they start to act or react, it is too late. Um, so we see both. We see uh, some companies that are very open, but many companies um, that are really close in their strategy approach, also because traditionally strategy uh, is something that is done in a very close, small group of homogeneous executives. And it's a lot about secrecy. And exactly. means uh, transparency. And that is something which very often does not fit the culture of the companies. Maybe I can yeah. add to this, um, also related to the second question, because that's the beauty, I think, also of the concept of open strategy, that it is not one specific tool, but it is it combines many different approaches, which allows to also tailor the tools that you are using to those concerns that Thomas has just mentioned. Because, mm. um, of course, the first stage in the strategy process is usually about just collecting a lot of ideas, getting ideas about future trends, where especially those digital crowdsourcing tools help a lot and allow companies to get a huge number of ideas. And the beauty of those digital tools are, of course, people can self-select based on their own interests. So you get people that you would have never thought about to participate and that are very yeah. far away from your core um, because you don't have to find them. They are self-selecting in. Um, but, and then we have the second stage of um, the strategy process. If you now want to translate those ideas to specific business models. And this is what open strategy is also about, analyzing the ideas and the input that you get, and then really specify specific business models about not only the value offered, but how do sales channels look like? Uh, what will be your marketing logic behind it? And all those different aspects. Then we have seen that it makes sense to Small, um, to, to reduce the scope and have smaller groups of people working together in a workshop setting, if it's analog or digital, but specifically select those people and um, let them work together. And in such a setting, companies then feel more comfortable in sharing necessary information and in revealing insights on their structures and processes and allow um, people to work on the business model. And we have seen a great example of a German, very traditional company, um, BPW. They are producing brake systems and axle systems, and they have developed a really cool digital tool called iGoat. And this allows the driver of a truck to monitor the forces of the load securing belts all the time via sensors and apps. But they realized they were not able to develop the business model around it because it was just very different in terms of sales channels, in terms of everything evolved, how they approach customers, uh, pricing, um, very different to the existing core business model. So they invited internals and externals in developing such a business model and were really happy because they said they would have not been able to come up with this business model on their own. 
because of those cognitive models, because of the assumptions, because of the beliefs that they have, how their industry just works. And, and I think that's the beauty of the concept that allows you to find a tool tailored to your specific needs and questions. Then the third phase to oh, the third phase, wrap up. That would be then, okay, are you specifically interested in having the employees understanding um, the strategy, mobilize them, engage them. And usually we see here large scale, again, digital tools like social networks, um, jams, again, which are used by organizations to um, get their employees involved and not having strategy. It's something that is communicated from the top and employees yeah. just passively receive because then of course it's very difficult to engage buy-in or a sense of ownership or just a commitment a feeling and emotion so most of the time then employees are, do not feel very strongly about the strategy or even understand it or know about it but if you engage them and continuously have a discussion and a debate and give them a kind of voice they feel they are part of it and then you have a great situation that they, they do not um, only accept it, but they understand it. They have a knowledge. You do not have to engage so much in communicating everybody and justifying and pursuit everybody that, that that's a good strategy. They are already part of the team. And so you are much faster and in, in realizing that strategy and, and um, really act on it. Okay. Julia, you cannot imagine how often I have heard from employees in big corporations talking about their strategy, not saying this is our strategy, but saying this is the strategy of our CEO yeah. <laughs> or this is the strategy of our executive committee. And do you agree with me that already that sentence says a lot? Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's then really this passive communication. That's what we have been told. I don't even know why they are doing this. That's just what I've been told. And then, you know, how can you, how can you have a passionate employee really being actively engaged in believing what they are doing if you get this passive top-down communication? And it's really very different if you see people engaged, they, they really feel part. There is this great example of Telefonica, and I think that's um, just a great example because they are so big. They have more than 125,000 employees and they engage all of them a, a huge part in the employee social network. And it's great because the CEO is really living it. He's really actively engaged, asking questions, discussing ideas, considering specific ideas done also in speeches and talks. And here they really measure it and see that people really have a huge sense of ownership and commitment to the organization, but also to the strategy, because they just feel that they are part of the, of the entire story. I fully agree. And Julia, I also like your approach. Like ours, uh, you work with shining examples and role models. Uh, because also with us, the question often comes, guys, who is doing it already? Who is it? Yeah, where is it already uh, alive and kicking? And just as a shout out, uh, Julia, you were mentioning a German producer of uh, brakes for trucks. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you you mentioned the name uh, in English because obviously we do the podcast in English. Could you say it in Germany? The name in German, the name. Bbb. Bbb. 
all right, because mm -hmm. really, this is a brave action for a traditional company to even to admit, to admit saying, guys, we have a wonderful technical tool. Um, but you know what? We are not good at, at this moment at developing a business model around it. I, I can tell you 50 German big corporations who would rather die than ever admitting that to the public. Uh, what, what's your take on that, Nick? And also uh, 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 directed to you, Nick. Isn't that pure unbossing philosophy, what we are hearing now? Absolutely. In the introduction, uh, uh, while we were waiting for you, Thomas, I, I explained that uh, open strategy is definitely, is, I mean, it's, an, it's, a, it's, it's a, a super important uh, piece of an unbossed company. I cannot imagine that you go on Mount Sinai, design your strategy, and then communicate it top down. That's like the opposite of what we want to achieve. Um, and hence, my follow-up question, uh, a little bit more practical, could you highlight the major differences between a traditional strategy process and the open strategy process, apart from the fact that you involve you know, the, the wisdom of the crowd, uh, in terms of length or maybe other important characteristics? Because that's what we tend to hear a lot, is that, guys, it's okay we involve the organization. But it needs to be ready in two, in two weeks. <laughs> That's and the second thing, uh, a characteristic, and then I'll let you answer the question, is, yeah, uh, they, they give us this mega complex slide deck of 100 slides explaining the strategy. And then they say, us, and now you make, you make every employee owner of this. And I'm studying for weeks trying to understand what's in the slides, and I don't get it, you know? Uh, so... I mean, yeah, going to you for the question. Excellent question. Um, well, uh, open strategy is about involving a large number of people, insiders or outsiders or both. That increases uh, the number of ideas. You get more radical ideas. You adapt the collective wisdom of crowds inside and outside the company. You access decentralized knowledge, for example, operational knowledge of uh, frontline employees you create more commitment. And uh, regarding uh, the length of the process, uh, we see both. We see situations where companies say by involving outsiders in a strategy workshop, we are much faster uh, because we develop more uh, ideas. We get very quick access to uh, decentralized knowledge we didn't have before, so we are faster. That's a... Uh, one thing we see, but we also see it can take much longer uh, when you involve uh, thousands or um, um, in, in the case of uh, Telefonica, 125,000 employees. Of course, it takes longer, but um, involving them, it takes longer to come up with the strategy, but then you are faster and more effective implementing the strategy. Let me give you a very good example that describes the idea of open strategy very well and uh, comes back to your uh, 120 slides uh, on strategy. It was uh, Barclays uh, in England, retail banking. It was back in 2012, I think, when uh, this 
bank realized um, there is uh, there are fintechs coming and about 30% of their revenues were at risk. So they needed to develop a strategy to respond first and second to mobilize 30,000 employees to implement the strategy. And the solution was uh, an open strategy project. And this is uh, how they did it. They created a series of strategy councils uh, consisting of uh, top managers to answer the question, uh, where are we right now? What are the challenges? At the same time, they installed work groups consisting of hundreds of employees answering the question, where do we want to be in 2020? And then they brought both perspectives together to develop a provisional strategy, which then was uh, presented to thousands of employees. They rented uh, about 70 um, theaters to have enough space for all the employees. So they fine-tuned the strategy. The question was, uh, what does this strategy mean for our customers? What does it mean for me? And uh, Asa Kwasbani, who initiated the project, said a simple strategy understood by all is far better than a complex strategy understood by a few. Few. Wonderful. Great. Moving everybody. And in the next step, after uh, fine-tuning the strategy with the input of employees, they conducted a strategy jam. It was two days long. It was a moderated online discussion involving all 30,000 employees. And the idea was, and this is what uh, Ashok Vasvani said, there probably wasn't a single one of our 30,000 colleagues who would not know what the strategy is. I love it. And the outcome of the whole process, it was a long process, the outcome was the most popular FinTech product in England. More than 9 million customers. Return on equity increased from 15% to 17% in an industry which was attacked by a number of uh, disruptors. So um, I think this is a great example of what open strategy can mean. It can take long if you involve everybody, but the result is a very simple strategy understood by everyone and implemented with full commitment by everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I absolutely love it, Nick, and uh, it reminds me of a certain client talk uh, you and I had two and a half weeks ago, Nick, and there was a question asked um, to us, okay, guys, what do you want? What is your vision in terms of where we are in a couple of months on strategy? And do you remember that we said, what we want is we want to enter your headquarters in six months, and we want to ask a random receptionist in your headquarter, what's the strategy of this company? And then we want to have the answer in half a minute and with shining eyes from the receptionist. Good. Is that something like like that, what you are envisioning? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yep. Um, super interesting. I, got, I always have the trouble with these inspiring conversations, Thomas, that I had like the zillion uh, follow-up questions. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to pick the one where I think, do you guys discuss, I haven't read the book in its entirely. Do you guys discuss the aspect of psychological safety in the book? Because whenever we go on these open strategy uh, tracks, what we notice is that the psychological hierarchy, not just the hierarchy in the org chart, but really the psychological hierarchy is very much alive. I mean, it's really, that's basically the first part of the job is trying to get, take, take that out of the discussion. And uh, B, therefore, in the beginning, it's kind of blocking the creative process. Not so much when you invite externals, that's less, especially customers. They're very open to tell you very bluntly what they think of your products and services. But when you <laughs> when you when you involve the the, the middle managers, technicians, the, the the truck drivers, there, and I'm already always, oh, it it hurts my heart to see the dynamic in action. Um, but there is so much psychological hierarchy. So, do you guys consider this topic in the book? Do you talk about that? Yes, I think that's that's a very important aspect also of open strategy, especially if we're talking about involving internals or employees throughout organizations, because there are those um, difficulties if you are in in if you are an employee and um, there might be different kind of pressures, um, political pressures, um, also. Fears among employees, can I really say very radical ideas? Can I really say something which is opposed to what we are doing right now? Can um, I say our product sucks? Exactly. It's a disaster. Can I say it, that? Exactly. So the first and very important aspect is really to create a setting and create an environment where people really feel safe to voice their concerns and voice their ideas. I mean, in a workshop setting, this could really be that in the first two, three days of a workshop setting, top management or even management is not involved. So that you have outsiders and people from different hierarchy levels and countries together, but not necessarily from the very beginning, top management to create first this safety and develop ideas together. And after a certain time, then people feel quite um, safe, but also they feel um, far enough to tell about their ideas and uh, present them in the group. And also digital, uh, create um, an environment where people do not only feel it's okay that I contribute and spend time on this platform also during my working time, but also that I can voice the ideas. And here, this is really also the responsibility of the leaders and management that they support the initiative, that they become active, that they um, contribute and answer ideas, that they show that they appreciate contributions, even if they are far away, so that um, they they um, just provide a little comment and say, nice idea, let's discuss further, so that people really feel my contribution is welcome and it's recognized and it's um, it's of value for them. And, and that's 
I would say the role that leaders and managers then have to take in an open strategy process, it's no longer their role to come up with the strategy and bring in all the information and know everything on their own. But their role then is to facilitate this project, to support it, to um, acknowledge and to recognize and then use it and build on it. So it's a kind of different role um, that managers and leaders then have to take in such a project. And also Wonderful, a, a, Julia. a big challenge, there, Thomas. Yeah. That's yeah, a huge are... challenge for leaders because that means that they need to let their own ideas uh, at the door and not trying to facilitate the group in a way that the end result is what they want. (laughs) That's the big challenge because we have this specific traditional role in our minds. What's, What's the task of a top manager? His task is to come up with the strategy. And it's very, I think that's a challenge for many managers out there to accept this, that this role might be shifting and that they are not compromising status or power that is usually associated with it, but that they can um, be much more effective and much more successful in being a facilitator and supporter in this space. Um, and I think it's changing, but of course it, it requires a lot of self-awareness and a shift in mindset among managers. And um, that's not easy and it takes a little bit of time. Let, let me maybe answer this question with a little story, uh, which I f- uh, find so interesting. It was in 1938 when an MIT student uh, called Claude Shannon solved one of the most complex uh, problems of circuit design. And his master thesis probably was the most important master thesis of the last century. So he was working as, an, as a master's student on an early analog computer and they had the problem of circuit design. And so he realized that he could use the idea from, from an undergraduate philosophy course to solve the problems. He applied Boolean algebra. And so he laid the foundation of all electronic digital computers. Now you might think that this was one of those rare incidences in history that almost never happened, but changed the world. Um, Claude Shannon said it just happened uh, that no one else was familiar with both fields at the same time. But there is an excellent uh, book uh, titled uh, Seeing What Others Don't by Gary Klein. And Gary Klein studied 120 of the most important inventions and discovery in history. And he found that uh, more than 80% of them emerged when people from different disciplines, different backgrounds, started to talk to each other and exchanged ideas. And uh, this simply means if you transfer it uh, to to, to a business context, open up, use cross-fertilization, talk to many different people, create cognitive diversity, talk to strangers, involve people who are not involved, Give everyone a voice independent of rank and status in the company. Access decentralized knowledge. And if you do so with uh, a number of tools, it has to be a well-managed process. It can be very productive. Good. Can we shortly, can you shortly talk about these tools? Yes. Uh, it's a number of tools that can either be analog tools or digital tools, 
Digital tools typically are strategy jams, as uh, I described in this case of Barclay. It can be strategy communities, as in the case of Ericsson or Telefonica. But it also can be workshops. One of the tools I really love and that is really fascinating is a very simple idea. We call it the nightmare competitor approach. It has its <laughs> I can already, <laughs> I already love it. Okay. <laughs> it has its origins in the military wargaming, and we adapted it for open strategy. And the idea is only about one third of uh, the companies uh, steer successfully through disruption. The others go out of business or struggle for years to survive or are acquired. And one reason is they act uh, too late. And this is the idea. Imagine you are on the beach, hanging out with uh, some of your friends. Uh, it's warm, you're having a lot of fun, the sun is shining, you're having a great time. And somewhere in the distance you hear music. Would you get up and check it out? Maybe, probably not, because you're, you're feeling good. Mm -hmm. Imagine you are in the woods. It's dark, it is raining, and suddenly you hear a scary noise moving towards you very fast. Would you run? <laughs> Bet. Uh, it's all about motivation to move. Now, if you frame disruption as a risk rather than an opportunity, you will be able to mobilize resources and people to respond. And the nightmare competitor is a very simple tool. You put together some internals and the same number of externals. It can be experts, it can be uh, startuppers, it can be lateral thinkers, even competitors. So you put them together in a workshop to imagine such a nightmare competitor. And you can be sure that you can come up with a number of very disruptive ideas. You would have not come up uh, without the help of outsiders uh, doing this exercise. And this allows companies to spot potential threats and opportunities very early. And it, it increases the odds that leaders uh, will take an action. I love it. Nick, how about you? The nightmare competitor. Fantastic, fantastic. And Thomas, before we, we give you space to ask your final question, I do have one more practical question. How do you guys see the strategic process in the daily workings of an operation? Um, is it something one-off is it a continuous improvement and more importantly what we experience often is that it's seen as something that comes on top you know you have i have my my day-to-day -day job yes and then sometimes i have to participate in the strategy workshop <laughs> whereas both are working on the organization for the organization at the same time so yeah very very briefly what's your what's your take on that very good question. Um, it can be both. It depends. It depends on the objective. If, for example, you need a disruptive idea for a disruptive new business model, a nightmare competitor approach can do it. So it's a single strategy workshop 
that involves outsiders and insi insiders. Um, or it can be a strategy jam for two or three days uh, to develop some ideas. But it also can be an ongoing uh, initiative like a strategy communities. I would say in an ideal world, it's an ongoing initiative. Um, but often, very often uh, companies start with, they, start, they open up gradually. They start with to learn what works and what does not work. And then they start to expand the open strategy. As in the uh, Telefonica case, it started with an initiative of a number of employees to discuss online customer engagement. And that attracted so many employees that engaged in these discussions, the top management became aware of it and recognized um, how well that can work uh, to involve 125,000 employees uh, in the end. Cool. Thomas, I think um, it's time. <laughs> that means you are ready for it, Nick. <laughs> I'm fully ready for it. Now, Julia, Kurt, imagine the following. I'm the CEO. I'm listening. I'm the CEO of a very traditional uh uh, uh, a company in a traditional sector and I just listened to this podcast uh, 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 Julia and Kurt and you made it, you convinced me that this is the right approach to go and I'm really in for it, I'm convinced and I want to make it right and now comes the question what is it, what could be my biggest mistake my biggest fettnäpfchen in germany where i where i could put in despite all my good intentions uh despite my 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 clean heart what do i have to avoid at any price um i would say there are two big mistakes which are interlinked to each other the first one is not being ready as an individual and we would say not having this open mindset and this is also again linked to this self-awareness because um, most executives and managers would say yes of course I'm open-minded of course I value diversity nobody would admit to say okay I do not value diversity or openness but if you then ask questions like, how do you feel in situations uh, which are characterized by unpredictability? Um, how do you react if you are presented with a very unconventional idea? Do you try to fit it into your existing structures? Do you try to come up with reasons why it won't work in your organizations? And do you really believe that people who have never worked in your organization and even have never worked in your industry can contribute with valuable ideas? Or do you think, hmm, they don't know how it works? <laughs> so if you ask those questions, then managers begin to, to feel a little bit more uncomfortable. So we say, okay, be aware how open-minded you are. We have come up with questions, a self-awareness tool, self-assessment tool in the book, which allows leaders to 
to honestly assess how ready they are. And that's so important because in a large scale quantitative survey, we found that leaders who have this open mindset are not only um, engaging in more open strategy initiatives, but do this more successfully. They get out a higher profit out of those open strategy initiatives, a significantly higher profit than those who are less open-minded. So it's very important to, to be honest with yourself and work on your open mindset first. And then this is related to the second one, because you have to take it seriously. You have to believe in it. You have to see it as a philosophy, which really is, is um, working throughout your organization. Because the worst mistake you can do is to engage people, engage employees, ask them for their contributions. They invest a lot of time and effort, raise expectations among them that they have a voice and then don't take it seriously. So the worst thing that you can then do is not considering it at all. People don't know what happened with their suggestions. Um, just You don't have to consider them all. That's Everybody knows that that's not possible, but you have to be honest and transparent from the very beginning, what will happen, what will be the role of the different actors involved so that you do not raise too high expectations, but then show that you really acknowledge their time and effort and value it and recognize it. And um, that's very important because if you do not do this, we have seen examples where people then get demotivated, frustrated, and even protest against it because they say, now you have asked me, I have engaged so much. I have given you all my ideas and time. And I don't get any kind of response and feedback. So yeah. then you have a negative consequence of open strategy. So I would say be ready and really take it seriously and, um, and support it um, and be the biggest supporter of the open approach within your organization so that, um, that the people really see that their contribution is valued. Those are the two big, um, big issues that you have to consider to avoid mistakes. I don't have a very short answer. Um, I think the biggest mistake is uh, not reading our book. <laughs> that mistake can be very easily avoided. 